Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Lauren Polovich. Lauren is a student in our Executive MBA class of 2023, and she is also a doctor. We talk with Lauren about her decision to pursue an MBA, what led her to Darden, how the program has impacted her thus far, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Lauren Polovich. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brett. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to talk with you. I've been catching up with a few of your classmates here on the show, and I feel like everybody's excited to be almost halfway through the program. And we're recording this in like mid-May, and you can start mm-hmm. to feel that sort of energy. People are rounding that corner. Uh, it's great to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... It's, you know, time has flown by, but at the same time, I am in a little bit of denial that we're not really even quite halfway there yet. So looking forward to what this next year um, brings, but also sort of dreading it you know, in a way, to be quite honest. Well, I've been around our 2022s a lot over the, the past few weeks or having conversations with them. And they are right now in that mode right before graduation of looking back and taking stock on all the things that they've accomplished and just the progress that they've made. And I think there's a lot of different emotions that come with that. And for anybody navigating something like an executive MBA program, right? it's challenging, you're pushing yourself, but there's also something very special about being in this place with this group of people going through this shared enterprise together. I think that's um, something that people feel sentimental about, interestingly enough. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. I mean, even just the relationships that have been built um, with classmates is is so wonderful. And I know, you know, that we will we will stay in touch um, at the end of all of this. But yeah, I am already sort of anticipating that and seeing the 2022s go through it right now and witnessing that and how emotional they're getting. I, I definitely understand that. And um, I there will be some moments where I know I will say I'm going to miss this. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit more about you. Um, tell us, you know, who are you and and what's your background? Sure. So my name is Lauren Belovich. Um, I am currently the associate chief medical officer at the focused ultrasound foundation, which is located here in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and the foundation is a really unique um, tax-exempt organization. It's a medical research organization, and our mission is to fast-track the development of a medical technology called Focused Ultrasound. Um, it's a very unique organization to work for. Um, most you know, medical research nonprofit organizations are geared toward a medical disease, and this one is geared toward a medical device. So it's very interesting, and we follow a venture philanthropy model Um, and it's just a fantastic place to work, so I'm grateful to be here. A little bit more about myself. Uh, I grew up in Vermont, and I went to the University of Vermont for undergrad and stayed there for medical school as well, and then moved to Charlottesville in 2014 for my anesthesia residency. So I've been here since then, and I love living in Charlottesville. Um, I'm also a mother, to one boy. He's a very rambunctious and sweet, um, kind, beautiful individual. His name is Finn. And um, he takes up a lot of my of my time as well. So a very important part of my life. 
Well, let's talk a little bit more about your, your journey to the Focus Ultrasound Foundation. So had the anesthesia residency, um, you know, what ultimately led you to say, I want to move uh, to this organization doing this kind of work? Yeah, so, um, you know, it actually started out as uh, a temporary position here at the foundation. Um, I was sort of going through some um, medical challenges, and I, I wanted to step away from clinical medicine for a while. And so I um, ended up stumbling upon the foundation through a mutual connection to Dr. Cassell, who is the founder of the Focused Ultrasound Foundation, and um, kind of came on in a part-time role initially to do some medical writing for the, for the foundation while I explored next steps for me and what was right for my career. And after working here for a couple of months, I really um, you know, realized that this was a great place to work and that I really enjoyed the non-clinical side of medicine and being involved in a company where I could not only impact one patient at a time, but the impact could be so much greater um, and broader of a scope. So that's what really kept me here and attracted me here. The, the people um, are also wonderful um, here at the foundation as well. We've, I've got great colleagues, some of whom are actually Darden MBA grads. Um, and so that's great. And um, I have advanced my role, obviously. I'm not a, par a part-time employee anymore who does medical writing, but uh, I have stepped into more of a leadership role here at the foundation, and I've just really enjoyed um, being able to use my skill set and the knowledge um, that I have to, to bring that to the table here and, um, you know, contribute to our mission of advancing this technology um, as fast as we possibly can in order to save patients' lives. So people may not know much about this technology. I think I've, I've had a chance to learn more about it over the past couple months, just in some of the conversations I've had uh, for the podcast. But uh, for people who don't know about Focus Ultrasound uh, and this medical technology, what is it about and, and what can it be used to treat? Yeah, so thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Um, so it actually is, so when most people think about ultrasound, they think about it being used to diagnose specific diseases and conditions. So a lot of people equate it to, you know, when you're pregnant, you can use an ultrasound to look at the fetus inside of the mother. So what, with this technology, though, we are actually using ultrasound beams not to diagnose diseases, but to treat them. So you can actually use ultrasound beams um, to treat different diseases and conditions. It started out um, that the, the main indication um, was using the focused ultrasound beams. You can, you can um, focus them um, on a very specific part within the body, much like we, we, we um, oftentimes compare it to focusing uh, beams like rays of sun uh, using a magnifying glass on a specific point and you know how you can burn you know, a piece of paper or a leaf using a magnifying glass in the sun's rays. So that's essentially what focused ultrasound um, does as well. We use a specific lens that focuses ultrasound beams onto a specific target in the body. And this is done completely non-invasively. Um, and so it, it creates a thermal lesion, um, which is, it basically burns the tissue. And so you can perform a uh, surgical ablation without having to um, break the skin barrier. That's the first mechanism that was discovered, and it is FDA approved to treat things like 
movement disorders, so essential tremor and Parkinson's disease. But there are also um, many other mechanisms that we've discovered throughout the years that focused ultrasound can be used for other than just burning tissue. So a couple of those are um, opening the blood-brain barrier, which is a huge um, up-and-coming field and an area where I'm really interested in. So the the your brain has a specific um, set of blood vessels that are used to keep you know, harmful substances out of your brain, which is generally a very good thing. Um, so you don't get infections in your brain very often and certain toxins can't get into your brain because of this thing called the blood-brain barrier. Um, well, for patients who are so unfortunate to have been stricken with things like uh, brain cancer, brain tumors, um, that means that the chemotherapy can't be effectively delivered to those areas. So we are now using focused ultrasound in many clinical trials um, around the globe to open, temporarily open the blood-brain barrier to effectively deliver chemotherapy to um, brain cancers. Wow, that's amazing. And a quick technical question, uh, what's surgical ablation uh, for, for your podcast host out here doesn't know <laughs> too much about surgery? Yeah, so it's basically what it means is that it's just um, an approach, a surgical approach without breaking the skin barrier. So um, it uses heat in this instance to destroy tissue in, in medical terms, we call that ablation. All right. Um, I'm trying to hold in my mind surgery that does not involve breaking the skin. I think all of us probably think of, of surgery being this thing where there's uh, scalpels, et cetera, involved. So that's fascinating. Yeah. It's a revolutionary technology, and um, you know we really truly believe that it is going to change the landscape of of medical treatments. So, some of the things that I've learned in the conversations with your colleagues at the Fol Focus Ultrasound Foundation, one, uh, there's a really popular TED Talk for people who are interested in in learning more about about this. Also, John Grisham wrote a wrote a book yeah. too. He did, yeah. So he actually wrote a book. Um, it's called The Tumor, actually. And it is actually about um, the story of a gentleman who is diagnosed with a brain tumor called the glioblastoma. And it is about his treatment course um, and how his family navigates through that whole awful, um, you know, medical um, process. And, you know, it sort of ends by fantasizing how focused ultrasound could be, could have changed the trajectory of his course um, throughout his, his brain cancer treatment and um, quality of life, longevity of life, things like that. So John Grisham is a huge supporter of the foundation, and we're really, really grateful for, you know, his efforts to um, make people aware of this technology. So it's been great working with him. I, I have a personal relationship with him. Actually, interestingly, um, I was acknowledged in his uh, latest book as well. Um, I, I gave him some medical advice on on that book. So um, that was a really fun experience as well. But John Grisham is a, is a great supporter of the foundation and we're, we're extremely grateful for him. Wow, that's amazing. So you're in the acknowledgments of, of the book? Like Yes, thank, I thank actually, you, Lauren I actually have a copy of it right here. It's called the Judges List, <laughs> and um, we have just developed a relationship through um, you know me working here and him having such a passion for the foundation. And um, so, yeah, we we started talking about his book, and I ended up advising him on a couple of different areas in that book. So, 
Wow, that's incredible. What a reveal here. I didn't even know this was uh, going to come up. So amazing. <laughs> Um, yeah, fun little tidbit. So, <laughs> well, Lauren, one of the other things that I've learned is that there's like potentially hundreds of uses of this technology. I mean, there's the approved list, but there's also all these trials and exploration that's going on around what focus ultrasound can be used for. It's kind of amazing to consider the potential scope. Yes, it is. And that's where we really focus a lot of our time and energy. So, we are a not for-profit organization, um, we raise funds to support research that will advance the science of focused ultrasound. And we really focus our attention on the indications that we know um, have potential for clinical advancement. Um, we want to be able to help patients and save lives. That is our mission to the core. Um, and so, you know, we, we focus our attention on areas where, you know, researchers come to us with their ideas and we take those ideas and we internally and externally evaluate um, how these projects will change the landscape of the technology and how they will ultimately impact patients. But yes, there it's 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 a burgeoning field right now. Um, it's overwhelming how many, how much activity there is in in the focused ultrasound space. So it's it's fun to be a part of that. And so what is your role in the organization? Like what kind of things are you working on recognizing that the, the organization is doing a lot of, of different things? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's really cool to work here because as part of a not-for-profit, I think a lot of people can attest to this who work in the nonprofit space. We have, I, I wear many different hats. Um, so although my title is associate chief medical officer, um, I am doing a variety of different things on any given day. Um, most of my time is spent, um, you know, in the research and education areas. And so um, I spend a lot of my day meeting with researchers, um, recording educational talks to increase awareness and to educate people about focused ultrasound technology. And then, of course, I'm involved in um, upper level decision making on the funding of projects and um, and different areas, you know, how we how we spend our money and how we manage um, the research and education team. And recently, we've actually had a bit of a restructuring within the organization, and it has been so valuable to me to have my MBA be going through the MBA um, process to have that um, education and knowledge um, right by my side and able to really tap into that skill set uh, in real time, which has been awesome. That's an easy transition for what was going to be my next question of how did you decide that you wanted to pursue an MBA? We've had doctors on the podcast before, so maybe not a huge shock to some of our listeners that a doctor might be interested in pursuing an MBA, but everybody's story is a little bit different. So how did you get interested in an MBA? Yeah. So, um, well, I have to say that it's always been one of those things that I knew kind of in the back of my head that I would do eventually. Um, I'm doing it a little bit earlier in my career than I had anticipated initially, but I'm so happy to be here now. So no regrets there. Um, I was actually the chief resident, one of the chief residents of my um, anesthesiology class. And it was in that year that I, it really, I really, um, you know, made the decision that at some point I would do this because I was able to participate in a lot of different um, upper level management meetings and leadership meetings um, through that position. And I enjoy those conversations and being a part of those conversations so much that I knew at some point I would either be 
you know, pursuing um, a career in, at that time, it was more hospital management. Um, but, um, you know, so it was always something that I'd been interested in. And then, you know, starting here and learning more about how businesses are run, uh, it was just confirmed that I, I needed this education in order to um, make myself better at my job and just be better for the foundation. All right. And Darden hit your radar. I'm guessing Charlottesville and having some colleagues uh, that are Darden MBAs might have might have helped. Absolutely. Yes, that is that is correct. So, you know, being, you know, right here in Charlottesville, having the exposure to, you know, the UVA educational system already in my past, uh, I had known about Darden. And then, of course, having three uh, colleagues who have gone through the Darden MBA, either full time or executive programs, um, piqued my interest in Darden even more. And then, you know, as I started to learn more about Darden from people who were you know, either employed by uh, Darden or who have gone through the program or actively going through it, the more I realized that the culture really fit, you know, what I was looking for um, and the reputation was unmatched to, to any other school that I would consider. So, One of the things that's interesting in terms of talking with doctors about their decision to pursue an MBA is oftentimes they end up reflecting upon what medical school was really good at and the gaps in medical school, right? Mm. People oftentimes uh, will reflect upon, like I didn't have an opportunity to really learn about how to manage people. I was mm. just kind of thrown into managing people and kind of learning by trial and error. Any thoughts or reflections on, on that? Yes, many. <laughs> I am, um, I was struck even just within the first couple of, of quarters at Darden with how little I knew about, you know, I actually thought that going into it, I was the people management was going to be one of my strong suits because I just felt like I'm a people person and I'm good at that. But the more I learned, the more I realized that, wow, I really had had no idea how much goes into managing people. And um, it made me like the process more, but not only that, just learning about the other parts of business as well, outside of people management, um, you know, it is something that I feel like as a as a physician would have been very helpful for a lot of us to know um, throughout our formative years, you know, um, in medical school, in residency, give us the option to have a little bit more of, um, you know, a business, be a little bit more business savvy. Um, so it is really interesting. And it's something that I've actually thought about a lot in terms of maybe perhaps going back um, and advocating for that in some way um, at the at the medical school level, just to get people a little a bit of an opportunity to have more of a voice, honestly, um, at the table. The other thing that some of the doctors in the class of 2022 have shared with me is that being an MBA program fundamentally changed how they approach leading meetings, interactions with colleagues. They used to always feel like they had to be the person with the answer. And now they listen a lot mm -hmm. more. Um, and I can understand for doctors, right? Everybody looks to you like, what should be done here? And um, that feels like the role that doctors are oftentimes cast in. So the step outside of that is um, takes take some growth. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's where you draw the line between what what hat are you wearing? Are you wearing, um, you know, the, the physician hat or are you wearing more of the leadership hat and... Um, 
really having the, the difference there and drawing that line. So you mentioned your mom got a, a young young son. Um, how did you think about taking on an MBA program, the time commitment, all of those things? Uh, was it a family conversation? Yes, it definitely was a family conversation. So I am actually, I think, one of two uh, single parents in the Darden um, executive in my class. Um, and so, but I have a very good relationship with my son, Finn's father. So we had many discussions about what, um, you know, our, our custody um, situation would look like. Uh, we are, like I said, we're really good friends. He is very supportive of me. Um, and, you know, we had to, I had to talk to Finn about it as well and tell him, hey, listen, mom's going to be a little bit more busy these days. I'm going to be back in school. And um, he was also understanding, although I don't really think he knew <laughs> exactly what that meant, but um, you know, there are nights where he pops onto the Zooms and sees everybody in class and he enjoys that. And I really enjoy being a, a good role model for him. And um, that's been really valuable for me. And and you can tell, I mean, I, I think at this stage, you know, he's six years old, he, he is starting to pick up on the fact that, okay, mom's working hard right now. And um, I think he admires that. So I hope he does anyway. So the role model piece is something that's come up a lot with parents in the, in the program. Um, and, you know, to your point, kids don't always know exactly what their, their parents are doing or what an MBA program is. I think I always enjoy that confusion uh, that sometimes younger kids have like, oh, I have homework too. Or like, yeah, school is really hard or something like that <laughs> because, you know, they, they know first grade or second grade or whatever their equivalent is. But the role model thing is is pretty powerful, right? Helping your, your son realize that advanced degree as possible or that, you know, it's worthwhile investing in your education. Um, I, I can yeah. imagine that that's motivating. Yeah, um, it is, you know, and he, you know, being a, being a physician coming into the program, he already, um, you know, has pride in saying, oh, my mother is a doctor. And so, you know, I think this is going to add, add to that. Although I don't really think he understands, it, you know, with the, with being a physician, even though I'm not practicing clinically, he, he, he has an understanding of what that is because he goes to the doctor, you know, he sees his pediatrician every so often. Um, so he kind of understands that with this, he has no idea what, um, you know, a business degree really means, but I, I am looking forward to having those discussions as he grows older and has more of an uh, idea of what he's looking toward for the future and just being able to, you know, show him that, um, having a higher, higher education and getting, getting degrees is, is valuable for many reasons, not just for career advancement purposes, but, but really just in terms of having a, you know, a, a better breadth and understanding of the world and the way things work. So. So has he joined you on zoom? Uh, one of the things that sometimes when kids figure out that they can be on camera with their parents, uh, they get really fascinated by watching watching the class or making an appearance uh, or he, two. Yes, he definitely, um, he loves seeing himself on the screen too. So he'll often pop his head in and then go, mom, can they see me? And I'm like, yes, Finn, they can see you. And I'm trying to pay attention. So, <laughs> uh, but he's really, you know, he's really great. He knows now um, it's, it's infrequent that I actually have him during the time that um, we have class, but when it, in the off, um, circumstance that I do have him, uh, he knows now, you know, I say I have class at seven o'clock. 
Um, we try to spend an hour together before that. So I can really, you know, give him the attention that he deserves. And then he, he sort of takes care of himself for an hour, um, hour and a half while I'm on the zoom and he's ready for bed right when I get off. So, um, but yeah, he, he definitely makes an appearance on the screen and I've gotten some direct messages from my classmates saying, look how cute he is. And, um, he is, he's a showman too. So he loves to be on camera. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you come to Darden, you start the executive MBA program. You already talked about this sort of self-discovery of you know, leadership or the people portion of the program. And, you know, also um, discovering some of the subject matter, maybe more finance, accounting, how that's been helpful to you. But what were what were some of the adjustments that you had to make as you navigated the early quarters of the program? Well, from, uh, you know, like a, a personal life standpoint, I, I have to say that um, I've always been the sort of person that that commits or maybe overcommits to things and then just says, you know what, I will deal with it as it comes. I can do this. And I always go back to like my days in residency where I was grinding. You know, I was working 80 plus hours a week. I was up very early in the morning. I worked very late at night. And so I have that as a comparison to be like, okay, if I could do that, then I can do this. Um, so I, I've always sort of had the the mindset that I can add more and add more um, for better or worse. But I will say that in, in leadership residency one, which is the first class, you know, that we, we take for, um, for our MBA uh, and it's right here in Charlottesville. Uh, one of the things that I heard in the first day that stuck with me and has stuck with me is that there's no such thing as work-life balance um, or work-life school balance. Uh, it's all about harmony. And I could not agree more with that statement um, because what it's really come down to is priorities and making sure that my work, life, and school um, are harmonized, but there's never going to be a balance. It's never going to be like I'm working, you know, 33.3% of the time. I am doing life 33.3% of the time and I'm doing school the other 33.3%. Um, but they are in harmony. And the way that I do that is by prioritizing day by day. I say, okay, today, what is the top priority? Is it work? Is it my son? Is it school? Is it something else? And that has tended to work really well for me. You know, some things, um, some days don't get any attention and I just have to be okay with that and know that, um, it will all get done. And I don't have as much pressure on myself anymore to perform, um, at the utmost highest level, you know, I'm okay with status quo. And that's been a huge change for me um, as a type A person. I feel like that's a journey uh, that many of us are on. And I think our executive MBA students have to kind of look that directly in, in the face as they go through the program of like, I cannot do all these things. Maybe this is the first time in my life that I'm coming up against like just the limitations physically, uh, energy wise, time-wise, whatever it might be, like being okay with like not having everything done or in a certain place is, is challenging. Yeah, it's, it's an adjustment. Um, but again, you know, it, it comes down to um, just doing what I can and, and grinding every day and still getting sleep and exercise. Those are two things that are are also very important on the top of my list of priorities are making sure that I'm staying healthy mentally and physically. Yeah. So to your prioritization, I think everybody has a different, different list and the ordering of those things is different and being okay with that difference is also important for students. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. 
everyone's different to each their own, I say. <laughs> All right. So when you look back, you know, where you were when you started the program to now almost a year in, is there anything that stand out to you when you reflect upon um, the past four-ish, five quarters? So many different things. Um, I truly feel like a different person um, than when I started almost a year ago. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I have a different outlook on on so many different things, but really just life in general and my trajectory and my capabilities. Um, I have definitely gained um, a sense of confidence through this program. And I think it comes from having the knowledge that I was lacking and, you know, now being garnered with that, along with just advancing through my my current role at the foundation and having um, just that confidence, I will say that that has been huge for me. In addition to that, I had no idea the impact that um, this program was going to have on different aspects of my life um, outside of just the learning environment. So I have made exceptional friends um, with my classmates. I have been involved in some um, clubs and committees that I really had no idea I was going to be involved in. And it just sort of happened organically. And that has been really valuable to me and has made me even more of a well-rounded person outside of just what I wanted to get um, in terms of my career advancement. So it's, yeah, I, I just, I'm amazed at how much has happened in the short amount of time that, that, that has passed. Um, and when I really sit back and reflect on it, it's really cool and I'm, I'm really proud. So. Well, let's talk about some of those clubs and committees. Cause I do think like executive MBA students, a lot of people, I'm going to generalize here, so, so bear with me. A lot of people really focus on the career end of things. They might be thinking about school, uh, but that sort of like community aspect maybe is a bit more tertiary uh, for executive MBA students who might actually think that they have to give up that as part of their MBA experience. And we try to suggest maybe there's a different story to that here at Darden. So what have you been involved with? Yeah. So first of all, I have to say that when I started this journey, um, you know, I'd already had such a busy life outside of everything, um, you know, outside of Darden that I told myself, okay, I'm not going to get involved in any clubs or anything. I just don't have the time for that. Lo and behold, I, um, that is not the case. <laughs> so um, I think one of the things that I'm actually most proud of, and you may not even know about this because it's, um, it's a little bit on the quiet side, but uh, after my first couple of weekends at uh, Darden, the on-grounds weekends, as you know, they're very intensive, Friday through Sunday classes. Um, I, uh, I really started to miss going to church. Um, church has become a really big part of my life. And so um, after recognizing how much I missed that sort of spiritual reprieve that I got on Sunday mornings, um, I had started to identify people in my class through discussions, through class discussions, they do get deep, um, who I knew had a faith um, base. And I started to approach those people and ask and engage them in conversation about whether they would have interest in starting a faith-based group with our executive um, class. And I was met with great enthusiasm. And so I actually founded the Darden Executive Christian Fellowship, um, not knowing that there was a Christian fellowship at the, um, at the regular MBA level, 
Um, and so every Sunday morning at 7.30 on our on-grounds weekends, we meet for a time of worship, prayer, and community um, for an for about 45 minutes before classes start on Sunday. So I was able to start that group. We're hoping to carry it forward. It's still in its infancy, obviously. We've been doing it now for, oh, since um, around November. Um, but that community that I've developed around the Christian Fellowship has been really amazing. We're supportive of one another. We're like-minded, and it's just been such a, a joy to to, have, to bring that to to um, to our on-grounds weekends. So that's one area. <laughs> um, I am also uh, the communications liaison for the DEI committee, which is another thing that shocked me. I did not know I was going to be so passionate about DEI initiatives, but after discussions in one of our classes that we were in, um, I realized that it was important to me to be involved in the conversation and to engage with my classmates on issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Lastly, I am now a leader in the uh, Executive Healthcare Alliance group, which um, we just, myself and two other classmates, took that took those positions over recently. Um, and so we'll see where that leads us. <laughs> well, Lauren, you went from... I don't think I'm going to get involved with anything to being involved with at least three things that I'm sure just engaged more generally too. It, it's cool to hear all of the stuff that, that you've added to your MBA experience. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild to think about. Um, sometimes I don't really know how I get it all done, but I can tell you that I love every minute of it and um, you know, I'll continue to put in the work and I, I know I'll reap the benefits of that. Well, one of the things that's fun about being in this in this role, being the admissions person working with students, is that every class has a different impact on the program. You know, there's things that spring up or that a class really passionate about and they make new additions. And um, sometimes those additions last uh, longer. Sometimes they're a bit more temporal. They're specific to the class. Uh, I think about the things that your class has started thus far. Um, so you mentioned uh, the, the, the faith-based group that, that you're a part of. Uh, there's also been sunrise yoga, I think, on some yeah. Sunday mornings. Um, there's now this uh, program around creating like small group conversations, opportunities for connections uh, between students who may not necessarily have had a chance to connect in that kind of way, like kind of breaking out of maybe what would be your immediate social circle in the program. This does tend to happen, you know, just humans, uh, you find a friend group and maybe that becomes, becomes your key group. But I think there's some students who are working on helping, you know, make, make new connections as people move into the second year of the program. So all great to, to see all of these things. Yeah, I, I'm impressed. You know, it seems like our class has a talent for identifying um, specific areas where they want to see things happen and we make it happen um, and pretty quickly. So it's been I'm very impressed with with that. So I, I actually was um, a part of those initial discussions around starting that the the, um, the other social sort of um ways to meet people and, and having those uh, those small groups formed so that you you have the opportunity to meet people. And it was a, it was a discussion around friends and then it turned into like, wow, this is actually happening. Okay, let's do it. Um, and so it's just been really neat to be involved in in this community and see how we can really put ideas into action. 
I was so happy to hear about that initiative. I think uh, Joy Weber, who's really instrumental in it, we got an email from her. I think she's calling it social buzz groups or something like that. That branding yeah. may not may not necessarily stick in the long term, but I'm, I'm hopeful to have her on the podcast because one of the pieces of advice I will oftentimes give to incoming students is to try to have lunch with a different group of people every time or try to have breakfast with a different group of people every time you're in mm -hmm. residency uh, just to expand um, because you know sometimes you meet the you meet the group during LR1 and the weekends and it's easy to stay in that lane but the value of the program is in meeting as many people as possible connecting with as many people as possible yeah totally and those those buzz groups will definitely help with that we I do have to say the um, the program team has been very good about making sure that we have um, ample opportunity to meet almost everybody in our class, which I know in future years may have been um, a, a bit of an issue because you stick with the same sections for longer, but they've been really good about mixing us up. So I think at this point, I um, at least know most of my classmates by, by their first name. Um, you know, I can identify their, their put, a, put a name to the face. Um, which is which is great, but yes, I'm a social person, so any chance I can get to um, meet more people and, and learn about them and really make those connections, because you never know um, in the future how you may um, end up running into one another, one another, helping each other with jobs, all of that kind of thing. So, um, fantastic. Well, Lauren, building on what you just shared, what are you excited about as you move into your second year as an executive MBA student? Definitely excited about continuing to build those relationships with my classmates. Um, you know, being on the different committees, I just I feel like we're really just getting started um, on some of those initiatives and getting to know one another. So really excited for um, continued relationship building there, and then also really excited to start to mold my um, you know uh, curriculum a little bit more with the choice of electives coming up to really cater to what. Um, my future career plans, you know, are. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, at this point, students in the executive MBA program can take 12 electives. There's just a lot of choice as well. I think over the past two years, we've probably had 40 total electives that have been offered, maybe a little bit north of that, actually, to executive MBA students. And there's been a lot of good conversations around healthcare specifically, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe adding an elective or two. I know there's been some development there. We've got Vivian Riefberg, who teaches a uh, popular healthcare elective for executive MBA students. And I feel like it's just an all around great resource for people that have this interest. Yeah, absolutely. And as part of the Executive Healthcare Alliance, um, as one of the leaders there, that's one of our main goals is to, is to really beef up um, some of the different health healthcare electives potentially and, and keep Vivian involved because we know that she is a really great resource um, for us. So yes, definitely. And then also there is, I just heard about this elective, not related to healthcare, but that uh, Jim Dieter does on um, sports statistics and things like that. So I am, I'm a sports person. I do have to say that I love I've just picked up golf. I don't know how I did that in my free time, but, um, uh, and I, you know, so I'm interested in taking electives like that as well, just to make myself a more well-rounded individual um, outside of uh, the, you know, the workspace as well, learn a little bit more about uh, sports and how I can apply my MBA to sports analysis. <laughs> 
Yeah, that elective has a lot of great guest speakers too. Um, you know, they've had people in from the Washington Wizards and um, oh. other other folks have have called in for it. It changes every year, I'm sure, um, but it was a, it's been a cool elective just to be around for uh, during the weekend residencies when it's been meeting. So uh, that's awesome. Um, can I ask you a specific question for for some of the medical professionals, the healthcare folks that we talk to? Um, many of them kind of wrestling with this idea of like to do more of a general MBA, Darden is a general management program and very broad in orientation, or to do something with more of a healthcare uh, focus. Um, and while we're on the topic of healthcare related electives and opportunities to explore this interest, I wonder if you have any thoughts that you would share uh, with folks who are kind of weighing that decision. Yeah. So, I mean, I can only speak to, you know, obviously pursuing a non-healthcare, you know, track focused MBA. Um, But what I can say is that I think for me, I have really enjoyed learning more about the non-healthcare related things, honestly, you know, um, the classes in uh, global economy and accounting and things like that, that really just make me feel like a more well-rounded individual and I still feel, you know, we have, we use the case method um, and I, we've had many healthcare cases, actually to my surprise, more than I thought we would have. Um, and so I still feel like I'm getting that exposure to how this all relates back to healthcare management and, you know, healthcare in general. Um, and so I don't really feel like I've, I've missed anything. If anything, I feel like I've gained so much more for doing more of the general track MBA than, than a healthcare focused one. Well, I appreciate you putting up with that question. It's on my mind because I uh, you know, have this conversation on a pretty regular basis. Uh, healthcare is such a growing industry. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot's been shared about it being one sixth of the of the U.S. GDP and, and growing, and um, feels like there's just so much interest. And it's something that we get asked about a lot as admissions folks. Uh, but nevertheless, always better to hear from somebody who's made this decision uh, themselves and going through the program. So, yeah. Lauren, one last question for you. Uh, what's a piece of advice, something that you would encourage listeners to consider as they consider their own MBA journeys? You know, I would say um, what I've learned about myself is that I can be myself um, and sort of be authentic and true to who I am. And and no one is not okay with that, you know, Um and so coming into the program, having a healthcare background, having a you know, medical science background, and not really having any business background, I was definitely a little bit nervous and afraid that I was going to be, you know, unprepared for what was to come. And I kind of embraced that and admitted it to, um, you know, some of my classmates and to the professors and was vulnerable. And I am doing well, you know? And so having, being myself and not being afraid to ask questions and really, um, you know, get involved in the conversations that you're passionate about is that's, it's huge. Um, and the fact that I've been able to sort of come into this as myself and really be vulnerable and, um, show people who I am has just made me more confident that I can be that person and that I will be accepted and I will be, um, welcome to the table. I love that um, advice. I know that can feel like a leap to people, particularly in the MBA program, but it feels like you're, it's such a powerful thing too, though. Yeah, it's freeing. You know, I didn't really think coming into this 
that I was um, deserving of it for some reason. You know, I just, um, and maybe that's a little bit of imposter syndrome. I've talked about that a bit as, a, you know, a woman in medicine and now in business. And, um, but this program and being able to be myself and um, feel valued has just really encouraged me to, to keep going and to keep pushing and continue to try to make a difference in, in society. Well, Lauren, it's always a pleasure talking with you. I, I so appreciate everything you shared here. Lots of good information for our listeners to consider and weigh as they consider uh, taking this step in their their life and their careers. Um, best of luck with every everything you're working on. Um, and look forward to seeing you here in Roslyn for a weekend residency, I think, not, in the not too distant future. Yeah, this, this Friday I'll be there. So not too far at all. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Brett. It's been a pleasure. And that was my interview with Lauren Polovich, a student in our Executive MBA class of 2023. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA at darden.virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.